Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number four in this series called uh, The Morning After, where we talk about life on planet Earth, the morning after the rapture. And we're going to talk about some of the things leading up to the rapture. But I want you to understand, this is not where we're going to debate or become dogmatic about when the rapture is going to take place. Uh, I don't think it's so important that we know exactly when the rapture is going to take place because we can't know it. But besides that, what I think is more important is to get the value that God is offering us out of this information. And the value is, is that as the world gets darker, our hope gets brighter and brighter because we recognize that we're getting closer and closer to the time that we are going to be redeemed from planet Earth. We're going to be taken away from planet Earth. Now, let me just tell you, and it's really interesting to read the comments that people make. Now, th this could sound pretty ugly, don't, don't mean for it to, but I'm telling you, it, there's no wonder that the world hates the church. It amazes me how that uh, you can scroll through Facebook or someplace and, and somebody will be making some scriptural quote or just, you know, uh, giving some testimony or something. And man, there are people just ripping each other apart theologically, and you can tell by their comments that they haven't even read the post. All they did is picked out some part of it they didn't like and started attacking that other person. Well, I got to tell you, Jesus taught that the blindest person in the world is the person who insists that they see. And if we do not keep our hearts open, repentant, teachable, then I got news for you. We won't be able to follow God through the darkness that's going to, to be ahead of us. God wants to lead us. He wants to be our shepherd. He wants to take us through all these things that are coming upon the earth. And uh, if we've made up our mind how we're going to see it, then we'll close God out. And when he's trying to deliver us, we won't be following him because it won't fit our theology. After all, the Jews crucified the Messiah, not because... He didn't prove himself. You know, it's amazing how that Jesus, he worked the four messianic miracles. The four messianic miracles were miracles that, uh, that the Sanhedrin and the ancient sages, they all agreed that anybody that came on the scene that worked these four miracles would definitely be the Messiah because nobody else would be able to work those kinds of miracles. Well, Jesus worked all four of those miracles and more. And so all the places where they set up the, this is the way we will know uh, when the Messiah comes. When it happened, they ignored it because they had already made up their mind. They did not want a suffering Savior. And so they, they refused to really even acknowledge when Jesus lived up to the biblical criteria, but also to the criteria that they had set up themselves. And it's because they insisted that they saw. And so I got news for you. I, I, I'm afraid that so much of the church is in that same predicament. Uh, that when God's trying to deliver us, we're going to be like, no, that doesn't line up with my theology. This can't be God. And so, and so we won't be following God. We won't be listening to God when he is actually trying to deliver. So I want to encourage you. 
I, I am not telling you that you need to change your doctrine to match up to mine, I, but I am telling you, you need to be open and teachable and you need to at least have your heart open, uh, not to me, but if you hear things that challenge you, and particularly if you hear things that make you angry and defensive, then, then you need to say, oh man, that's a warning. That's a warning sign right now. Why am I angry and defensive about something just because I disagree with it? Because if you're angry and defensive, I promise you this, you've got your eyes closed. I don't want you to do that. So today we're, we're the name of this, this message is called When He Is Gone, uh, It Shall Come. I, and I'm telling you, we're going to be talking about one of the most unique uh, families in the entire scripture when it comes to understanding some things about the end times. But let me ask you this before we go, Father. And, and when I look at these, when I look at the comments that people make about the end times, the big question I have to ask is, where did you get your beliefs? Where did they come from? Did they come from your denomination? Did they come from your family? Uh, did, or did they come from you reading the Bible with your heart open and listening to the Holy Spirit, allowing Him to teach you? Because most of what I see in people's uh, uh, really critical, harsh comments, not, not so much to me, but but to anybody that that just has some share some opinion that people don't agree with, uh, and you watch them become all irrational and how unscriptural they become in being irrational. And the amazing thing is, if you know anything about church history, if you know much about the Bible, you know that many of these people that are taking these dogmatic stands that are ready to fight over every little thing they disagree with, uh, they didn't get those things out of the Bible. So I'm asking you, where did you get your beliefs about the end time events? You know, uh, one of the oldest prophecies in the entire Bible was about the second coming of Jesus. Uh, and actually, uh, Enoch prophesied about the return of the Lord. That's amazing. In the book of Job, Job, in the middle of what he was going through, and Job is the oldest book uh, of the Bible, Job declared his faith in the second coming, that the Messiah would come, would come to planet Earth uh, in person. And that's that's pretty amazing to me. So, you know, you go you go back that far in the scripture. And actually, you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and in the garden, while it didn't spell out end time events, it did prophesy that that the seed of man or the seed of woman would actually bruise the heel of the serpent. So, the prophecies about uh, the Messiah coming the first time and the second time go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You know, Jesus taught very specifically and made a clear distinction between the uh, his teachings about his second coming and the rapture. And, if, you know, if this came out of the mouth of Jesus, then how can we be calling it fiction? How can we be calling it allegory? The Apostle Paul made a clear distinction between the rapture and the second coming of Jesus. You know, there are five distinctions. I mentioned four of them, I think, in last week's message. There are five distinctions that must be realized if we're going to properly interpret Scripture pertaining to the end times. First of all, we have to recognize when the Scripture is talking about the church, when the Scripture is talking about the nation of Israel, when the Scripture is talking about the rapture, when the Scripture is talking about the second coming, and when the Scripture is talking about the millennium. You know, it amazes me even how, how often we take scriptures about the second coming of Jesus, roll them into scriptures about the millennium, and uh, and, and get incredibly confused about uh, Jesus coming back and establish, establishing his kingdom. So if we don't understand these distinctions, 
And we don't recognize and understand, but sometimes we're reading about the church and sometimes we're reading about Israel, sometimes we're reading about the rapture, sometimes we're reading about the second coming. If we don't recognize those distinctions, I'm telling you, this stuff gets awfully, awfully confusing. So I think one of the questions that we really have to ask right off the bat here is, why do so many believers doubt the message of the rapture of the millennium? I mean, I'm seeing people saying that, that, that first of all, one of the people who think they're sounding very wise, uh, they'll say, you know, all the teaching about the rapture is a, an allegory. Some people will say all the teaching in the book of Revelation is an allegory. In other words, it is not literal. Where in the world do you think that that doctrine came from? Now, one of the things that happened, uh, many people don't understand this, in the birth of what we call the Catholic Church. Now, I'm not bashing Catholics, and I know there are Catholics who are who are very committed, born-again believers, walking with God, serving God. Uh, but listen, it doesn't matter if you're Catholic. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, if you're, you were, came from some of the Reformation movement. It doesn't matter if you're a Baptist, a Methodist. It doesn't matter. It's not your church affiliation that determines your belief. It's what you believe in your heart because you're reading the Bible for yourself and you're getting the truth from the Scripture. But you need to understand the Catholic Church, the word Catholic means universal. And so the Catholic Church was never actually about uh, Jesus being Lord. And that's the key. It doesn't matter what you think about Jesus. If you do not believe in, in your heart what happened through his death, burial, and resurrection, and, and as a result of that, if you are not firmly committed to the lordship of Jesus, then really you have nothing to do with him. You have information about him, but you are not his. You're not born again if you don't believe the truth about the death, burial, and resurrection and confess him as Lord. Uh, that's it. And that, that's how we come into this, this new birth experience. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I don't want to push that too far and make it like you got to say a certain formula or a certain prayer a certain way. That's not what I'm saying. It's about what you believe in your heart. But the Catholic Church, a, the word Catholic means universal. So the goal of the Catholic Church was to create a universal religion. And, and they were trying to preserve political power. And they wanted, wanted to create a, a universal religion under the banner of Jesus, because at this time, the, the, uh, uh, the Christian faith was growing uh, in uh, the nation of Rome. And they, they could not afford politically to continue to stand against Christianity. But they also knew they could not alienate themselves from all the pagan worship in Rome. And so they, so they created a universal church under the banner of Jesus. Almost all of it is based on paganism, occultism, uh, every kind of corrupt doctrine that, that you can imagine. And and the worship of saints, the worship of Mary, all of those kinds of things were forbidden, absolutely forbidden in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and but they created this universal church. Now, one of the problems is, and people, again, we, we don't realize, the, the Catholic church, there was, there was the Western church, and there was the Eastern church, and the Eastern church tended to be more biblically based than the Western church. The Eastern church tended to cling more to the apostles' doctrine. And really long before what we call the Reformation began, within uh, the Christian faith, there were many, many, many people all over the world that totally rejected Catholicism because it was so corrupt, it was so evil, it was really recognized as a political movement more than it was recognized as a spiritual movement. 
And so, and and so the early apostolic church, if you will, pretty much believed that uh, the Catholic Church was, in fact, the the apostate church that the Apostle John warned about. And so, and so there were strong writings and teachings against Catholicism. And of course, this is where the Catholic Church waged a war on every person that disagreed with the church's doctrine and murdered millions of believers simply because they were they didn't agree with church doctrine. So so the Catholic Church had to take some definitive steps to to stop this flood of teaching about them being the apostate church and about the you know the pope being the the false prophet. I'm not saying he is or isn't. I'm not saying any of those things are or are not true, but I'm saying that this is historically what happened. So the the Catholic Church began to develop uh, doctrines that were very much opposed to first of all anything that supported the teachings of the Old Testament. You got to understand you don't know who you don't know who Jesus is. You don't know what happened in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus if you do not know the what we call the Old Testament. And so the Old Testament was premature eradicated. As a matter of fact, even the New Testament, all the masses, all the teachings were done in Latin, which most of the people, commoners, did not speak. They did not allow people to own their own Bibles. They didn't allow people to read their own Bibles. They didn't allow people to teach the Bible. They didn't allow people to have home groups or anything because the church wanted absolute total control of all doctrine uh, that all believers in the world would believe. And so because there was such a strong movement against the Catholic Church for being an apostate church, the, the doctrine of preterism was born out of the Catholic Church. It was The whole concept was written by a monk. Uh, that, uh, um, and the, the concept of preterism, which preterism has a lot of different names, but the concept of preterism denied that Jesus was going to personally and physically come back, overthrow the apostate church, uh, overthrow the Antichrist and his followers, and establish his kingdom physically on earth for a thousand years. Because if you believed that, then, then you would believe that he was going to come back and he was going to overthrow the Catholic church. And so they couldn't have any doctrine that represents the idea that Jesus was going to come back and fulfill all the scriptural promises about his second coming, because they needed to keep the idea afloat that it was the church that had the authority, and it would be the Catholic church that would end up dominating and controlling the entire world. And so, uh, so there was a very uniform worldwide effort to stamp out any beliefs about the rapture, about the second coming of Jesus, about the millennium, and the church was going to take over the world, and the church would then hand the world you know, over, over to Jesus at some point in time. Well, the truth is, you, you have to realize where that doctrine came from, where that kind of teaching came from. You have to understand that, uh, uh, that all of this was aimed to really destroy the faith of the believers. By the way, let me mention this before we go. Man, we have great special holiday uh, sales going on. This time of the year, we try to make it possible for people to uh, afford to get series, you know, 
buy your own Christmas presents. Uh, we have you have a, a Thanksgiving special that that goes on this time of the year. We have a Christmas special that will go on, and so we're trying to do everything we can to make it affordable for you to put these tools in your hands so that you establish your heart in the gospel, and so that you can be ministering to your family. You get gifts for other people, and we can make it more affordable. And remember, every time you spend money, first of all, you invest in yourself. If you're making this journey as a disciple then you are you are going deeper than just these things that we cover in these free videos. And, you know, we've got over 2,000 free messages on our website. They are there for you and for your friends all the time. But a lot of people say, you know what, I want to go a little bit deeper in this. I want to take a deeper dive. So we always produce uh, audio series, other types of teachings, write books and all this kind of stuff. And uh, they are available to you. Also, I want you to know, that this discount that we have going on actually uh, is can be applied to heart physics tools. So this is just an incredible thing. So anyhow, invest in yourself. But also, every time you invest in yourself, I want you to realize that you are investing in the world because this gives us resources to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're not having to beg for money all the time. We're not taking up offerings all the time. So be sure and check it out. But I do want to say finally, if you're interested in helping us raise up 1 billion disciples around the world, then go to impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com and check out what it means to become a world changer. Check out what we're doing to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And if you want, if you want to help us reach a billion people and not just get them saved, but establish them uh, as disciples of Jesus, start Bible schools, raise up leaders around the world, then we would love to have you participate uh, in that with us. So be be sure and check it out. Now, you know, one of the, one of the most unique families, and, and I'll tell you, this is really interesting. I, I wish I could remember all the details. I'm just going to make a, a passing reference here. I, I heard a study one time that was done uh, back in kind of the, uh, on the 1920s and 30s and 40s. And uh, the study was done on on the lives of, of families that walked with God, went to church, and how their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren rose up and, and became assets to the entire nation, uh, helped bring you know peace and stability to the nation, and how people who did not invest in the gospel in their families, their, their children, their, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren ended up in prisons costing costing the state millions and millions of dollars to imprison them to you know to to deal with them in the court systems and 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 all of that to say uh uh it's amazing at the difference when a family is moving with God than when one individual in a family is moving with God you know when you stop and look at it as far as i can tell judas i don't know remember now if he was the only one uh he might have been, he was either the only one or he was uh, one of two of the apostles that did not have a family member that was also an apostle. And I've often thought about that, how that if he had not been alone, then he, he might not have succumbed to sin the way he did. So, you know, when, when I gave my life to the Lord, and I want to encourage, I'm not telling you this to brag on me or make me look special, but I'm just telling you what you can do. Nobody in my family knew Jesus. No, nobody. And, uh, uh, you know, I made up my mind that I was going to win my, my family to Jesus because I got news for you. I, I, a lot of the weeping and gnashing of teeth 
that the that Jesus talked about in his parables is not because the people in his parables went to hell. It's because they they squandered their inheritance. They squandered their influence. And, and one day standing before the Lord, realizing that they are the ones that let their families go into eternity without Jesus. I want to tell you something. I made up my mind that I was never, ever, ever going to stand at the graveside of one of my family members and, and have the regrets of never having won them to Jesus. And I just made up my mind. I was going to win all my family to Jesus and pretty much did. And I encourage you to do the same thing. You know, you can justify it. You can convince yourself all the reasons that, you know, well, you know, put it off. They don't even know Jesus, yada, yada, yada. But I got news for you. When you're standing at their graveside and you and you knew Jesus and you didn't do anything to bring your family to Jesus, I believe that's where you're going to understand what Jesus was talking about so many times when he talked about wailing a national teeth. Well, Enoch's family in the Old Testament is a unique family that, that I think presents two very clear types of what happens uh, in the end times, in the rapture, and in the second coming. Now, Enoch, it says in, in Genesis 5, 21, it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begat, begat Methuselah. Now, most people know that Methuselah was the oldest man that ever lived in the Bible. And one of the things that that represents is that represents the patience and the long-suffering of God wanting to do everything that he can to win as many people as he can uh, before he has to take some of the radical steps that he takes. And when God takes radical steps, it's really not about punishing the wicked as much as it is in delivering the innocent, saving those people. Because what you, what you will discover as we go through this series the day after the rapture, you're going to finally see the true intention of all these people who have just tried to act like, oh, let's just be reasonable. Let's, you know, let's don't condemn this sin. Let's don't condemn this sin. Let's be fair. Let's be, you know, let's be merciful to the murderers and to, uh, uh, you know, to the brutal and to the ungodly. Let's just be fair to them. Let's, let's just give them mercy. Well, and, and you take mercy away from the innocent. You take protection away from the innocent. And so we are going to see, and we're going to talk about this in one of these messages, we're going to see the most clear back-to-back -back revelation of this is what sin has intended from the very beginning, and then we're going to get to see that back-to-back -to, -back to the rule and reign of righteousness under the Lord Jesus. We're going to get to see the world we could have had all of these all, ever since creation, the world of peace and joy and health and healing and longevity that we could have had if we had chosen righteousness instead of selfishness. But anyhow, so uh, uh, in Methuselah, we see God's patience, God's long-suffering, not, not wanting anybody to perish apart from him. So anyhow, it says in verse 22, it says, after he, that is Enoch, after he begat Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters so that all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God took him. Now, Enoch is the first model, the first type of the rapture. He, th this is a person who crossed over from here to eternity without dying. And, and it happened because he was, you can use the word translated, you can use the word rapture. I mean, there's a lot of different words that you could use that would describe what happened. But I, I'm telling you, I, I love talking about Enoch. You know what's interesting about Enoch? Uh, Enoch was a preacher of righteousness, and for 300 years, 
Enoch preached and warned about the coming flood. Now, I can just imagine, even back then, as it is now, this is where you had all of the people making fun of him, you had all the people talking about how stupid he was, and you had all the people talking about how that he was a preacher of judgment and wrath and anger, and he wasn't a preacher of mercy and grace and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know what? Uh, people are still doing that today. To anybody that stands up and preaches righteousness, and sadly, a lot of the people who preach righteousness do it from a, a critical anger position, which I do not do not approve of and do not care for. But I, I don't I don't believe Enoch did that. But here's the thing with Enoch: Enoch, as much as anything, he was just a friend of God. Now, when you look at Abraham, you discover that Abraham was, was given information about things that were coming upon Sodom and Gomorrah for one reason. He was just a friend of God. God shares what's coming with his friends. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a friend of God. I want to be the kind of person that God can be intimate with me and share what's coming in my life, what's coming in the world, and how I can prepare for it. So Enoch, it says in Hebrews 11, 5, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him away, for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is the rewarder of them who diligently seek him. Enoch believed that God was who he revealed himself to be. I got news for you. I don't even meet many Christians today that believe that God is who he says he is. They they believe in general in God, but they don't believe what God says about himself, and, uh, but also to believe that God's a rewarder. I don't, I don't meet many Christians that believe that God is only a rewarder. He is only consistent in goodness. Uh, to hear most people tell it, God is the one who's causing all the trouble in, in planet Earth. Now, Enoch bore a, a son, and the son's name was Methuselah. Now, there's several different ways to translate Methuselah. I think one of the simplest ways to understand it is his name meant when he is gone, it shall come. For 300 years, uh, uh, Enoch preached that a flood was coming, that, that the wrath of God was going to be poured out to wipe out the Nephilim. Because remember, it got down to the place where there were only eight people that still had a pure genealogy. And if those eight people had not been preserved, then there would have not been a bloodline through which the Savior of the world, the Messiah, could have come, and the entire world would have lost its opportunity for redemption. And so Methuselah lived to be a 969 years old. And so Methuselah, at the end of his life, the, the rain started after Methuselah died. So you have two pictures here. You have picture number one, Enoch is a type of the rapture. Uh, long before the flood, God took him away, bam, and, and just you know, took him away to be with him because they were friends, because they connected. But then Methuselah is a type of, of being delivered from wrath. You know, the Bible tells us very clearly that we are delivered from the wrath of God. Therefore, once God begins to pour wrath out on planet Earth, which is one of the things that is going to happen after the rapture. You see, the first three and a half years of the tribulation is the tribulation of the Antichrist. The last three and a half years is, is the wrath of God. We are delivered from wrath. God cannot leave us here on planet Earth 
while he is pouring out wrath because if he did, it would make him a liar and it would violate his word. Now, we're going to talk next week about things about the rapture and the truth of it that are just going to be astounding to you. But I want you to ponder on this. I want you to be ready to join me next week where we're going to take a step farther in the morning after. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.